fanficmedia.com presents Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast. With hosts, Christiana Ellis, Chute Schubert, Vivid Muse, and Nookchus. Oh no! Vivid Muse is away again, unfortunately. Oh, no. so. But He's we are here by Christiana and Nutty. How are you? Ah. Uh, as previously discussed before the start of the live stream, I am super tired, but rallying through <laughs> sheer force of will. And outrage. Oh, maybe not outrage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, it's, um, I, I mentioned to Christiana, it's summertime and I feel like I should be having more fun. And I think that's because we were all tricked as kids to think that summer is supposed to be when you have off and get to have fun, but you spend yeah, most yeah. of your life working during the summer yeah. and then you get crabby and you actually feel heat as you get older. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. I should probably say this is a uh, season seven episode three of beyond the wall. We're going to talk about season seven of game of Thrones. This one's titled the queen's justice. With no spoilers past the current aired episodes. Yay. As always. As always. <laughs> yay for no spoilers, I guess. That's what I was just yaying there. <laughs> it, it would be it would be tricky to do at this point, but I'm sure there are some spoilers out there. Um, yeah. That's what I've heard. I've not gone looking and not found them as a result. But. Yeah. <clears throat> Although there are a few things that haven't been, that were in the books that haven't really been touched on. So, you know, we, we still keep that out. Um, Thinks it could, yeah, could theoretically come back in. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that today uh, during this episode. Yeah. <laughs> there's recently an HBO hack, and apparently there's, like, screen captures of the next episode or something, oh, and people. a whole bunch of internal documents and scripts and stuff. Avoid those like the plague. Yeah. And also just uh, we need someone to ring the shame bell at, those people. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> no, don't do that, you guys. Come on. Why are people's fun? Oh, there you go. Shame. 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 It, it really is, you know, why ruin other people's fun? Because, uh, like, there's no point to grab these things, you know, a week before or to put them out out of context. I mean, it'd be one thing if there was anything to be gained, but it just it just feels like trollish behavior to me at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, everybody can understand there being an anticipation and some people will yeah. be tempted as a result. Um, but to cater to that temptation is the way of the dark side. <laughs> True. I wanted to make a Game of Thrones uh, comparison there uh, instead of going Star Wars, but uh, there's not really an obvious element that kind of correlates there, right? Right. Everything was like which so great, like the cold side, (laughs) (laughs) the ice side. Um, What is spoiled will spoil again. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, I don't think there was any, or I didn't see any other news bits about the show or anything. Um, I think we can jump right in. 
sure. to the discussion. And they jumped right in with the highly anticipated John and Danny meeting. Opens yeah. up at Dragonstone right on the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and I must arrive and I get to meet Tyrion again. Or he gets mm-hmm. to meet Tyrion again. Take away the weapons and the boats. Yeah. It's a little ominous. Right. Well, and it's one of those things, too, where I, you know, obviously it's not what John wants, but at a certain point, it's kind of like, I mean, why'd you even come here if you were worried about that type of element, right? right. Like, and once you're there on the beach, I mean. Oh, yeah. But, you know, if they're determined to just take you prisoner. But then again, I mean, the other element is, too, that he he he's the one that knows that he is not there to do what he's being asked to do. True. So yeah. um, it's one thing, <laughs> you know, to be submitting into their custody when you know that you're going to do something they don't like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still, um, having, I mean, this has been a season of interesting character combinations and making um, connections happen that we have been wanting for a long time. And that, mm-hmm. um, obviously, John and uh, Danny is the big one here because they're meeting for the first time, these two very relevant characters. But also getting these little reunions like, uh, you know, Tyrion and John. Yeah. And them talking about Sansa. Yeah. I found <laughs> very compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know. There was there was something really neat about that. And and you know, Tyrion's like, she's uh smarter than she lets on. Oh, she's letting on. <laughs> yeah, she's I, I just, <laughs> and first impressions of this episode, I just have to put this out there. Every scene is so compressed. Full of things. Like, mm-hmm. I could probably talk an hour for every scene, and I'm going to try not to. <laughs> but this yeah. was a very tightly compressed, full of character bit things. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, this scene alone was just I, flawless. We could, we could talk like three hours just on this scene. <laughs> <laughs> I love the look on John's face when the dragon swung over and flew yeah. over. And just like, yeah. Yeah. It's See, one thing. Kit Harrington can act. <laughs> I I think anyone who insists that he can't is stubborn at this point. Like this is like, of course he can. He's yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was my uh, my thought though when the dragon swooped down on them was like, oh, power move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not that I think that Danny really planned it consciously that way, but obviously I think that you know it's something that she would have approved of, and the dragons could you know whether it's it's not clear if they have any sort of a telepathic connection or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, you know if it, is it just coincidence or certainly wasn't something that she took any steps to avoid. So uh, <laughs> or you know they smelled hey that kind of smells like a targaryen down there Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah you know it's it's frustrating because obviously one of these things that is the nature of any show that's been going this long and has such a rich world building and uh 
you know, depth of uh, complexity in the story and all of that is going to naturally inspire uh, speculation and theories and everything. Um, and I love all of that. And I don't want this to come across as dismissive, but it's one thing to have like fan theories and fan canon, but boy, mm. there are people who are just taking the, the thinnest of straws and building oh, yeah. entire yeah. castles on them. And I'm just <laughs> like, Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, just because that is a theoretically plausible explanation for something that has a much simpler explanation in the scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, Although in defense of the crazy crackpot theorists, because I love me some crazy crackpot theories, book readers had so many years between yes, books yes, well, that's that true. that's all we had to do is, is come up with theories. And I don't think many of these crazy, crazy crackpot theorists are people that didn't read the books. Yeah, That's my hypothesis. I, I think you're right. Um, and then I also would uh, say that in general, the specific theory that I think you were referencing there. Um, uh, no, I was talking was, about Jon Snow. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm oh, just okay. saying that was not one of the ones that I was going to say is oh. thin <laughs> in terms Sorry. of supporting material. Yeah. Um, I was mostly kind of extrapolating into some of the broader stuff of yeah. people reading into a line of dialogue and saying, oh, but see how she makes this weird face at the end of the sentence? That obviously means that blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Like yeah. I saw someone spin into this whole diatribe about what it means that when the maester says that maester Lewin kept records of every raven that uh, and then and then Littlefinger looks at him and then spun into this whole theory about how Littlefinger is going to Barbara Streisand himself about how uh, murdering uh, Robert Aaron or John Aaron and uh, back in the beginning and I'm just like, dude, nobody cares about that anymore. No. Yeah, 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 I'm with you on that one. That's that's. Going a little, a little. Not to mention there. the fact that Sansa <laughs> already knows that stuff. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't I really mean, she doesn't know sense. every single element of it, but but Lisa confessed to killing John Aaron like in front of her, and she would be stupid to think that Littlefinger wasn't involved. Anyway, that's right. that's spinning <laughs> yeah, off into yeah. crazy territory. Yeah. Let's let's not do that. So yeah. we're back um, in the scene. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I noticed is Davos loves to talk about people's accents. Yeah. Sure. And the the <laughs> I I I don't know. I, I thought it was really cute how he was trying to um establish a relationship with Miss Sandy and she was like, Yeah, okay, we're moving. <laughs> yeah. Um I I did feel like it was a slightly weird line and I was wondering if you guys um uh what you guys thought about it. The bit where he talks briefly to her and she kind of blows him off a little bit. Like she's polite, but sort of shuts him down in a polite way. Um, and then he just turns to John and is like, this place has changed. And I'm like, yeah, you talked to one girl on the beach. Yeah. You haven't even been up in the castle yet. <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I don't quite get what that's supposed to mean. But yeah. then later on he says, he, 
just has a flea bottom accent. So that's why I paired the two scenes together, mm. trying to figure out is there what is he talking about? I don't get I, it. I think what it is is it's just it's an attempt to build something that they haven't really earned yet, which is just a recognition. Davos was there when Stannis had it, and it's a very yeah. different setup now that Daenerys is there and just communicating that we want there to be a different feel about the place than when okay. Stannis was there. And I think that that's just what they're going for. And so what they're trying to do is it was basically just a clunky attempt to have Davos seed that. Um, it was but one they, of the few clunky scenes in the episode, though. Yeah, I mean, I like yeah. him. Yeah. I don't mind him talking with Missandei, but that line just felt like it came out of nowhere. It, it was yeah. like, what is that? What do you mean? And what? Why is that the response to the convert the exchange you just had? <laughs> I, yeah, agreed. I like that's the thing. I felt like so much of this episode, everything had a purpose. Mm -hmm. That that one thing sticking out to me is like, I I don't understand. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm very forgiving of that element because um, Davos is the best, and I like him. Yes, he <laughs> is. We love Davos. <laughs> Viv, uh, Viv had a note on the when John seeing the dragons, how it, it's you know even after giants and dire wolves and the others and all that, how he's still su stunned at the sight of something because mm. it's so foreign. I mean, yeah, <laughs> dragons, right? Yeah, dragons are intense. <laughs> um, and I honestly, I was actually, I mean, this kind of gets into the next scene a little bit, but just the idea that when she's so skeptical about an army of the dead, this, you know, myths and legends. And I'm like, is no one going to point out that she brought dragons back? Exactly. Right. With, uh, I mean, the, not that John knows that, but, uh, she knows that it was with blood magic. <laughs> so, um, and and didn't why didn't Melisandre tell them that John's that she brought Jon Snow back with blood magic? Well, so this episode, in a really weird offhand way, answers the question that we've had for a little while, which mm -hmm. is that apparently John is not telling people that he's been brought back from the dead. Yeah. It seems like they're keeping that as kind of you know the people who know are asked to kind of uh, you know me mm -hmm. on the easiest yeah. J. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they kind of dismiss it, which I'm wondering, you know, it seems like something that'll probably come back. It seems right. a little significant. Well, especially <laughs> since they they actually, it's it's definitely going to come back because, or if it's bad writing, if it doesn't, because not only did they have an obvious thing happen in that scene where Davos almost mentions it and John stops him, but then Tyrion and Danny specifically bring it back up later right. too. Mm -hmm. So um, I, that's that's got to be uh, them planning. Excuse me to come back to that, but given <laughs> that that was kind of an open question of if people don't know he came back from the dead, then how are people justifying in their minds that he is not? in the night's watch anymore. How is he not seen as an oath breaker? And um, the answer might just be um, people actually never really did care about that very much when mm -hmm. it was in their interests to ignore it. That's, mm -hmm. that's it was, my belief. Yeah. Nobody cares about the oath to the wall because nobody actually cares about the wall. They think mm -hmm. that it's just snarks and grumpkins up there. They yeah, think right. that they're protecting them from wildlings. They're just a glorified border in mm -hmm. most people's minds. 
Um, so Paulette says uh, she really dug the line that Tyrion used. Uh, I would like to say you get used to it, but you don't. Hmm. I, I agree. <laughs> that was a great. He had a lot of good lines, you know, that yeah. long story. I was most always. of it. <laughs> always does. Yeah. Oh, Tyrion is so great. Um, uh, I see another comment from uh, Mark Minko. People already believe the dragons existed. They ju they're just extinct. But the yeah, White Walker yeah. is just legends about eight thousand. So there is, yeah, there. I That's, can see that. It's valid. Um, I mean, it's 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 kind of like the distinction between saying, oh, uh, you know. Uh, well, I don't know, a woolly mammoth is not even appropriate because that's still a long, long time ago. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so to be sure, dragons are something that everybody is kind of much more concretely aware of. Oh yeah, dragons were a real thing and we thought they were all dead, but turns out they're not. Is less of a big ask than, oh yeah, an army of frozen zombies. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the just the element though of... Danny knows what yeah. went into bringing the dragons back. Mm -hmm. So, and she is also aware of, you know, if we remember, you know, Karth and the warlocks there and like, so she knows that stuff like that goes on um, and not necessarily these specifically, but so like, I, it's not that I wanted her to believe him as much as I think that it makes she should be a little bit more open, I think, too. Yeah. I And again, the thing is, Danny's in a weird spot this season, so I don't want to actually, like, put on her, like, that she's not doing something that she's supposed to. But I guess what I'm just saying is, from my perspective, she has good personal experience to support the idea that supernatural things happen and are happening with an increased frequency. Mm -hmm. So... In that sense, it doesn't mean that she's going to believe him necessarily. Certainly not just, again, like Tyrion says later, it's not based on a first meeting. Um, but at the same time, it can't come across as something that's just like, you know, it, it, there's, there's, it can't come across as something that's just totally insane either. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Definitely. Set up to uh, Varys and Melisandre. Find out mm -hmm. Mel's heading to Volantis, but will return. Um, isn't Volantis like all ruins with stone men? Um, you're that thinking of Valeria. Yeah, oh, Valeria. Valeria. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Cool. Um, I like how she says that she's got to come back to die there, just like Varys. And in my head, I'm picturing. Londo and Jakar choking each other, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that premonition. And I'm like, ooh, so that's my little fan art in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look it up, but what it actually made me think of is trying to remember what little creepy prophecies she made back when she was with the Brotherhood Without Banners and met Arya mm. and stuff like that. Because she, she, she was doing a thing briefly where it's like, oh, I looked in your eyes and I've seen all the eyes I'm ever going to see or and so I know what's going to happen or something like that. I don't remember exactly what she said but because it was four seasons ago. But <laughs> yeah. well, she, she does say that she's going to see Arya again. Yeah. That was one of the things that she had said, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So in any case... Um, 
what do you guys think? So obviously she doesn't straight up tell Varys what it was. You know, she mistakes were made, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And she actually doesn't even do that. She, you know, it's not even mistakes were made. I mean, she specifically says, I didn't part on good terms because of mistakes that I made, terrible yep. mistakes, but doesn't yep. go into detail. Um, what's your read on her sincerity level there? I mean, other than obviously not wanting to talk to them because of how she left things, but how seriously she takes her regret. I think she regrets being wrong. Mm. I don't think she regrets her actions. It's a lot like, again, we're going to go back to when she meets um, Thoros of Mir uh, and the Brotherhood Without Banners, when she is completely shocked. What do you mean you can bring him back from the dead? And she sees another red priest doing magic mm -hmm. that she didn't know about. Um I think it's I think it's in that vein that she thought she knew she was so sure she knew what she was supposed to do and she knew what was going to happen. And then to see the things fail, her faith has been shake, shaken and mm -hmm. she she regrets being wrong. She regrets misreading. She's blaming herself for being wrong, but I don't think she, I don't think that she regrets uh, killing Shireen. Yeah. I think that it's about being wrong. It's more about, it's more about her connection to R'hllor than what she's done to actual people. That's, that's how it feels for me too. And in fact, you kind of, the way you expressed it there kind of crystallized it a little bit for me, I think, um, in the sense that um, it's not some, like she recognizes that Burning Shireen was a mistake, but it's not a moral regret of I did this terrible thing. It was, I was sure, so sure that I was right and turned out I was wrong. And so... I'm worried now that while I think I'm doing the right thing, I might be wrong again. So she's kind of keeping it at arm's length this time. Yeah. Instead yeah. of having it, you know, keeping it close. Um, yeah. So that, that's how, yeah, it read to me too. Um, so Marco says, uh, I feel like Melisandre will come back with a group of red priests to fight in the long night, which uh, I think that's a, a hopeful prediction for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're muted, I think. <clears throat> Maybe confer and say, you know, have you guys been seeing, <laughs> what have you guys been seeing in the flames? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really feel like the red priests and priestesses need to uh, definitely communicate a little bit better. It's like, okay, yeah. so this is what I'm seeing. Let's let's try to see what do we think that it means. Let's come to a consensus. Well, <laughs> and that ties into um, was it the first episode or, or second or last week that we were just talking about the possibility that while the Lord of Light may well be actually giving visions to people it may be much more of a case where he's telling each individual person what they need to hear in order to do what the Lord of Light wants, as opposed to actually showing everybody genuine visions. Right. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Because I'm pretty sure that Sandor did not see the same thing that Melisandre did. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, hard to say. I did think it was, it's always a little interesting um, when Varys kind of gets out creeped by someone. Right. You yeah. know, because yeah. he's, he's <laughs> trying to go ahead and, and look at Melisandre already sort of withdrawing and saying, yeah, keep going. Don't come back. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think it's safe for you here. So yep. yeah, maybe just uh, don't come back. Yeah, um, but then uh, <laughs> um, I was Viv's note was still the queen of creeping people out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and as it's kind of long established with his character going back to I think season two, um, that he definitely is very aware of some supernatural things going on. Um, but has mostly stayed away from it where he can, uh, because that seems to be the one kind of thing that really bothers him and unsettles him in a way that, uh, um, most things don't. I feel like for Varys, because of his experience, um, you know, and of course we're talking about, um, the reason he's a eunuch is, you know, it was taken and it was thrown into a fire and used for magic. Uh, is that um, that to him is like fire for Sandor? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it. It really is a parallel that um, you know Varys is afraid of magic, so he doesn't want to be right in the thick of it. I mean, mm-hmm. and he'll. I mean, yeah, he's around dragons, but uh, you'll notice he stayed away from Danny for quite a while and only joined her just as she mm-hmm. came to Westeros. And uh, yeah. it actually kind of reminds me of Mugen a little in uh, <laughs> the game on so many levels. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was turned into a fox spirit, so he hates magic and will not use a magic weapon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the uh, D&D campaign mm-hmm. that I, I run with uh, Chooch and Viv, and uh, Mugen is uh, Jared Axelrod's character, in case anybody was not already aware of that. Yeah. Nice um, but yeah. there. <laughs> no spoilers. Um, we had a major event last episode. Yeah. <laughs> I heard it um, for a while. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. Let's not talk about that right now yeah. just because I, I don't, I, let's, it's, we're, I am fuzzy enough that it would be easy to go out on long tangents. Right. But, um, but yeah, so at the same time, I, I, it's definitely clear that magic stuff does have a way of cutting through Varys's sort of uh, practiced defenses in a way that he's not comfortable with. All the more reason for him to want her to leave. But uh, she gets that last word of like, oh yeah, I'll come back. And he's like, oh, you probably shouldn't. And she's like, oh no, I have, I'll come back to die. Like you. Just like you. <laughs> she needs like a creepy little bony finger when she's yeah. dead. Right. <laughs> ah. Little dog. You can only see her for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The, the big moment, the throne room. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they addressed the king thing right up front. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do want to mention that Melisandre does like put put a pin on it you know she's like i've introduced fire and ice you know and it's mm-hmm. like ah song of ice and fire okay. yeah sorry <laughs> yeah there's a few things like that that i think they're 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 um teasing us with like um uh when last week when archmaester was talking about um him writing his history of 
you know, the events following Robert's Rebellion and all that. And, uh, you know, he just has a very generic title. It's like something with a little more poetry, maybe, Sam suggests. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, um, I thought the, you know, it was interesting seeing her in the throne this time, sitting there and, you know, being very still and kind of surrounded by, you know, the contrasting colors, her, you know, with her, her white hair, you know, in light colored clothing, surrounded by this dark stone uh, throne. Uh, and then, of course, the, the great humor of her long, imperious list of titles, and then <laughs> this is Jon Snow. No. Awkward pause. <clears throat> He's the king in the north. <laughs> I saw a really great meme, and it was the Starbucks cup, and it had all of Danny's titles written on the side of the Starbucks cup, just completely filling it. And then on Jon Snow's, it was just Jon. <laughs> Did they spell Jon wrong? Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. Not in the one I saw. <laughs> Yeah. Um, there's some great stuff here. And I especially love that they, you know, it's in some ways it feels almost fan servicey to finally have these two characters meeting up. But I like that they really deal head on with the very real conflict between them, which is that, you know, for so long we've kind of thought of them as each good guys in their way, but they're so far away that their differences didn't really ever ma matter, but now mm -hmm. they kind of do. And so that is, it's, it, at least at first blush, it's an in irreconcilable difference between them. Um, but uh, I, I thought that was, that was cool uh, to kind of just dive right into there. Um, but what I will say is that I feel like, this reminds me of the bits with Sansa up in Winterfell in the sense that when they're setting up these, these conflicts, the show seems to me to be positioning us to take John's side in these sorts of things because they're having Danny act very imperious and not super charming in these moments. Uh, which is fine. I'm not saying she has to be charming and smiley or anything like that. I mean, I'm, you know, she's doing what she's doing, but I just mean in terms of the emotional reaction, it seems to be trying to provoke in us. The audience seems like it's wanting us to take John's side. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, from the beginning, you know, the Starks are the heroes. Mm -hmm. They're the ultimate good guys. So. Well, but what's interesting about that, though, is that at least in the early, like the early books in the early seasons, part of the joy of the show and the story was its taking of these traditional fantasy tropes and subverting them deliberately mm -hmm. right. rather than playing into them. Yeah, um, I I can definitely see that. Um, I I agree. I do think that we're supposed to be seeing John's side, but I think that's mostly because we know what he's talking about is real. Mm -hmm. um, I like that they butt heads right to to begin with, mm -hmm. because they are two strong personalities, and I think it would be um, unbelievable if they came to a consensus right away. And oh, so I did enjoy yeah. that. I, I, yeah. I don't think that you were criticizing it. I'm just, this is mm -hmm. my take on the, on the whole yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually fortuitous for their relationship 
that they get interrupted by Varys with the bad news. Because oh, yeah. I'm not sure how that conversation would have ended. And I think that having a break in their conversation was the best thing that could happen for that kind of a relationship. Oh, yeah. They mm -hmm. were two heads of opposable strength butting up against each other. There's no one's going to move. Mm -hmm. So you need the time to break apart, regroup, speak individually in order for it to proceed. So it was it was actually really uh well uh crafted, I guess is what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. <laughs> yeah. Um and I think that uh sorry, I I I, I don't want to just dominate <laughs> the scene or anything. Um but I I, I feel like part of what i'm i'm reacting to is is not even it, it feels more subtle than that i think part of it is just feeling like there is a carefully constructed flaw in danny's whole argument that makes it ring hollow for me because she towards the end starts to build into all of these things that she's accomplished perfectly uh, or, or personally, I mean, not perfectly, but um, but the whole idea of he should bend the knee because of his ancestor's promise to her ancestor. Yeah. Nobody cares about that anymore. And she should know better than to lean on that, I think. I mean, unless she's, I, maybe that's a tactic to try to use first, but for him to, like, she's just saying, you know, like, uh, you know, even towards the end of that argument, he's like, well, and your father's best friend sent assassins after me. And he's like, if for, I, we don't know what John would necessarily know there, but for example, both Tyrion and Varys would definitely know. And yes, that's what caused Ned to resign as hand of the King and specifically his protest over that specific action. And that led to his death at the hands of your common enemy. And so that's not going to fly as a particularly good Yeah, <laughs> well, in, in for th those assassins, I think what she was referring to is that uh, she and v Viserys were supposed to be killed as babies. Well, like, but we uh, never saw because, anything like right. that, though. But yeah. we do know that uh, Tywin sent um, uh, Sir Gregor to kill Rhaegar's uh, child, the baby that Rhaegar had, which it, and also killed Oberyn's sister, which is what caused that whole feud. But okay, but, but yeah, in yeah. the scene, yeah, that's not what she's referencing. Oh, okay. See, I assumed in that's what she's talking about. The show scene. Okay, I thought she she's was talking, talking about to, when she was a baby. My bad. Well, no, I mean, like, I'm not saying it's you're you're wrong. I as much as I think that the show is referencing a thing that happened in the show. Okay. Not a hypothetical world building distinction. No, I, I, no, I, I, like I said, I, I must be remembering it differently. I thought she said babies, so that's fine. Right. Yeah. Um, and she lays down the, you know, my father was evil. Don't judge him. Don't judge the daughter by the father's mistakes. Yeah. Which obvious it's like she, there. she was in Winterfell. She knew. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so I guess, and I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Invalidates the whole argument of, Bend the knee because the ancestors did it was John yes. Paul's are on. <laughs> Can't so I, guess, I guess that's that's my point is what that argument, their discussion felt like. And I and I don't want to come across as overly critical of it because it was mm -hmm. a great scene and I like that they're butting heads and having this argument. But 
the writing of it definitely felt to me like every point that she is given to say is a setup for John to defeat that element of the argument. Right. Even when she gets to the kind of the pinnacle of her case being made, which is that I'm so awesome, I did all of these things that they follow me and that's why you should too. But it comes down to, I don't know you. Yeah. I'm not going to start following you just because you're yelling at me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Davos is so, right there. Hey, man. He you know, did all these amazing things that have never been done before too. So yeah. And yeah. people will, will, what is it? Uh, hang on. I wrote it down. Um, people follow him because they believe in him. Mm -hmm. You know, she talks about how she's always believed in herself and she talks about how the Dothraki and the unsullied will die for her because they love her. Um, but with what Davos says is that, the Northerners and the Wildlings fight for John because they believe in him. And that'll come up in their next conversation. I'll come back yeah. to that note. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it also struck me as a slightly perilous argument to make, though, just because, um, you know, that took a knife in the heart. Um, like, <clears throat> you know, I know we sidestepped that point, but... Uh, we kind of, if we want to just sort of interrogate Davos a little bit on that, we want to just say, so in bringing that up, you're trying to highlight the sacrifice he made, but you're also pointing out that his own men mutinied against him because they were yeah. so opposed to what he was doing that they tried to murder him uh, <laughs> by stabbing him in the back, multiple of them. And when you say that the Northerners are following him, that's only after you won a war against all the ones that weren't following you. Yeah. So, and you did that with non northerner help with the, the Knights of the Veil. So, uh, you know, some of that stuff is a little fuzzier mm -hmm. than it was portrayed there in that <laughs> argument. Hence the again, on the Jesus, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Danny's stuff is the same way, though, right? Like, it's, you know, yeah. she's she's done she's made some mistakes that don't exactly cast her in the in the best light if you highlight those elements uh yeah. i did write down uh you know because danny says she's the last targaryen and i'm like nope no you're not you're right you're not even the last <laughs> targaryen in this room uh there were a lot of things that it was like hey hey remember last season when we found out who john's mm -hmm. parents are um <clears throat> but uh the, I, the I i think it's still it's not formally confirmed right i mean they they didn't say it was definitely correctly not in the show because it was mumbled. And yeah, they, so her uh, words were obscured. Now we can conclude that by connecting the dots, but it was not stated in the show. Yeah, I think we came up with the. I, I don't know. I felt like we had said that okay you, there's mumblings but we're pretty sure that's what it means well we can <laughs> yeah. draw that conclusion i think safely but it's yeah. not confirmed it wasn't explicit yeah yeah i we didn't hear the naming of the child i remember yeah. that much um mm -hmm. but uh, i just i feel like this whole squabbling over titles is silly at this point like you guys have a common enemy figure out a game plan, figure that stuff out 
afterwards, once you've had a relationship and you know who's who, whether or not you can trust this person, because you know what? If, if John came and bent the knee and she said, okay, I'll give you the men that you need or whatever it is, he could do that and then turn around and betray her. Mm. The fact that he's not bending the knee, I guess, I guess I'm arguing against myself. Um, <laughs> I was going to say the fact that he's not bending the knee gives is more reason to trust. But I just feel like focusing on how are we going to carve up this land mm. after a war that we haven't yet fought? Uh, it's it's putting the cart before the horse. Well, but that's, it, it feels yeah. defeatist. Yeah, go I mean, ahead. it's kind of like patent law. You know, if you don't. Yeah enforce your patents then they're invalid and she worries that the first yeah. one that she's meeting if she doesn't do her mm -hmm. spiel that yeah. she's going to lose ground yeah. well and the other thing is too that we say they have a common enemy and they kind of do but they don't agree on who's the priority that's true right? right because john is saying i don't care about cersei sure i don't like her but if I bend the knee and you're saying, oh, yeah, if I bend the knee, then you'll help me. What you're saying is if I bend the knee and help you take out Cersei, then maybe later yeah. you'll help out with our problem if it turns out to be real. That's what you're saying. Whereas mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, no, you need to send all of your resources north now and not waste time dealing with Cersei. So they're, you know... Bending the knee for now would mean agreeing with her that taking out Cersei is first. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you. Yeah. I think you kind of ended up arguing both sides of that uh, argument I in did, your own. I did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you you could think something, and then once you start vocalizing it, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Viv's note for this scene was, I love Davos. He and Tyrion could fix so many wrongs. They stole the scene from the pose-off between the avatars of ice and fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded having a conversation between the two of them specifically, like one yeah. instead of them each just chiming into the larger mm -hmm. conversation. Sure. Yeah. I would love that, actually. But, that yeah, maybe, be, you know, maybe next week. We don't have much time this season. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Spheris comes in with the urgent message. Everyone did mm -hmm. it captured. All of them? Nope. Yeah. So we get a quickie scene with Theon. Yeah. I feel like I suppose it's valuable to confirm that he's alive, but and establish, you know, set him on his path, which is obviously going to try to be rescuing Yara or something. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to be too dismissive of it, except that it just feels very transparent as set up for future plot. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I felt like this was a wasted scene, but the more I think about it, it, it might be, and I, I could be very wrong. So the, the, the Krakens, they have the, the, the line, what is dead may never die, right? And their baptism is that they drown, they're the drown, they follow the drowned god, they drown and they get resurrected, and you know, that's their whole thing. And mm -hmm. so I feel like Theon being fished out of the water could have a significance, but it doesn't feel like it at this point. Yeah. 
And I feel like if it would matter to his, to the Iron Islanders, they would have commented at the time. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like I can't let it go without mentioning, okay, there is that whole drowned God thing going on. Yeah. But I See don't that know. That's a perfect example, I think, of what I was talking about earlier. And I'm and I'm not putting that on you because yeah. you're no, acknowledging no. that it didn't feel that way in the yeah. scene. Um, but I think that's that's a perfect example of something where we can imagine this cool version of the story where that's the direction they take it, is that, oh, he's plucked out of the water and it's like he's returning from the drowned god, and maybe that he's gonna become an avatar of the drowned god or something like that. And and that sounds fun and it's exciting to think about. But the scene itself does not support yeah. that conclusion. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, like, it feels like a wasted scene. Yeah, it does. It's kind of a callback from, not a callback really, but it reminded me of when Theon, for, when we first saw him go to the Iron Isles. And he's like, yeah. you know, I'm Theon Greyjoy. And everybody's like, so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just kind of got the mm -hmm. game, same kind of reception, you know. Like, yeah. Hey, well, if you tried, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I suppose like, that oh, if yeah. they have more for him later, that we have to establish that he gets out of the water at some point. So I suppose sure. we have to cover that. But other than sort of checking that box, the scene really just, yep. you know, you know, let's have a bunch of uh, you know Iron Man uh, sailors reinforce the feelings of failure that he feels already. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just feel like Theon's a bad penny. It just keeps coming back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the King's Landing with his uncle parading his treasures through the streets. Mm -hmm. and so right, doing the classic ride into the throne room. <laughs> yes. Pacey's big brother, um, Euron, uh, he just makes me think that he is misogyny personified. Yeah. And it's... yeah. Not really how that well, I've they took two characters and, and merged them into one for this character, but I don't feel like he's servicing either of those characters. No, and he's it, yeah, very different yeah. in the he's a whole show. new character and it's just it's I don't know, like he's got some great lines. Mm -hmm. But there are times where I'm just like, all right, whatever. I don't necessarily object to his characterization, though. I think you're right that is he, he's very oh, I'm different. Not objecting. From it's just yeah, he's, we can't compare. But I, but he highlights my primary frustration with this episode, which you and I were briefly talking about before we started, which is that um, the show right now this season is hanging an awful lot of plot weight on Euron's magic fleet that can do mm -hmm. anything that it needs to at any given point and zip him around at light speed. Mm -hmm. Whereas everybody else has to follow the rules. Um, yeah. And that is like, so basically like the only reason Tyrion's plan goes bad is because Euron's magic fleet can take out anyone that it needs to at any given point while he is apparently in three places at once. Yeah. Um, so that, that starts to be irritating. And, and I, before we started recording, I was actually talking about just last week, I was the one making the case of, oh, you know, you can't harp on that stuff in this show. It's show demonstrated time and time again that it's not focusing on maintaining that. But where I can, I can support it when it's in the service of the storytelling. But now it it's starting to feel like a crutch. Yeah. 
like they've given themselves permission to not care about any of that and to just say, oh, well, uh, we need a way to uh, have Danny's allies get taken away. So let's, um, yeah. So this fleet, this entire fleet that was apparently built in a couple of months um, uh, is enough to take out the entire uh, rest of the existing fleet in yeah. uh, two very distant locations within days of each other while Euron is in King's Landing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's really the greatest captain on the 14 seas. I mean. <laughs> well, that's because he can duplicate himself and yeah. his ships. And he can make better ships than uh, all the ones that the Islanders had before. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's funny because this week, whenever things like that came up, I'm like, nope, time makes... Time makes no sense. <laughs> you just got to throw that out the window. It's wibbly yeah. wobbly, timey wimey, Game of Thrones. Uh, nothing's mm -hmm. going to make sense. Game of Thrones. Every time something like that happened, I thought of Christiana. And it's really funny because you're like, okay, come on. Now there's just no rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think Paula uh, came up with that last Game week. of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, I actually am kind of enjoying Euron's characterization just in terms of like what kind of guy he seems to be and specifically how his character is precisely constructed to drive a wedge between Cersei and Jaime. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, the Jaime's peril or the problem that he's in here that I think could turn into there's two fronts that are driving wedges there. Cause obviously he's already highly, uh, you know, conflicted about his feelings about Cersei. Right. Like, um, but for one, the closer she gets to maybe actually really sealing the deal with your mm -hmm. that's not going to go over well. Nope. Um, but then also, obviously, it's the later scene that introduces another piece of information that could make that really complicated. Mm -hmm. But for her, you know, hit, the way she pitched it to him previously was more like, oh, we're going to use him and then get rid of him. But now it was this time it was a little bit more like, oh, sure, we'll do it after the war. And yeah. he's he's kind of already going, well, no, wait a minute. That's that's a, a that's a step beyond what we had said previously. I'm concerned about the direction that this is going. Um, but then again, it's not like he has a better idea. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't think she has any intention of following through. Yeah, that's what my notes him. say. <laughs> yeah. She's all right. short sighted and just mm -hmm. now, now, now. Um, Viv's comment. <laughs> I want a penicillin shot just hearing him talk, but he's fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. Really evil. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's yeah. That's a good line. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. yeah, like I really think that Cersei, she'll promise him whatever, but she's not actually marrying him until later. And honestly, with the things he's saying to Jamie, he is begging Jamie to kill him. Mm -hmm. He is begging Jamie to kill him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's put another note. He's Jamie's such an easy mark. <laughs> mm -hmm. <You're> on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, but that's that's what I'm talking about when I say that Euron is 
like we talked about him not being like in the book. He's a brand new creation, and I feel like that this this is a custom build a bear of a character <laughs> designed to create conflict between Jamie and Cersei. Yeah, yeah, that is his function. Yeah, and also to be a bad guy for Theon. I now have fan art in my head. It's Euron, and he's on like he's got the little build a bear overalls <laughs> yep. and the little hat, and yeah. Ooh, there's a hey. <laughs> um yeah so for him to constantly be provoking jamie that way um repeatedly definitely is setting up conflict between the two of them but he's kind of this he's kind of the magic bullet for cersei's side right now mm -hmm. and she knows it and he knows it and so Jamie, I think, is the one who is seeing down the road where Cersei is the one saying, oh, sure, yeah, I'll promise him whatever he wants and I don't have to deliver later. It'll be fine. But that's because that's what she always does. She did the same thing with the faith militant. She's so is like, but Jamie is the one who's kind of looking ahead and saying, you don't actually have a plan here. <laughs> this, you realize he has got an amazing, super powerful fleet that is uh, hanging out around our coastal city. And you're promising something he really wants and not intending to deliver. How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah. Euron could take King's Landing at this point. You, you, you never know. And... Um... There was there was a really great meme that I saw earlier this week, and it was all the various characters with their motivations from season one to their motivations now. And they're going through all the different characters, and they're pretty great. Mm -hmm. But the best is the last one, and it's the it's Jamie. And season one, I have no problem throwing kids out of the windows. Season seven. How am I the sane one here? Yeah. How am I the one that that can think of plans, and I am the sane one? I this makes no sense. Well, and then at the end of last season, his own kid threw himself out the window. So yeah. it's like, you know, he's he's feeling like no, I'm no longer needed now. What am I going to do? I mean, if throw themselves, throw themselves out the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Um, and I never it never really occurred to me that yeah, Tom and went the way that he tried to kill Bran. <laughs> it never clicked to me that in that way before. <laughs> uh, Viv's final note in this scene, uh, Euron takes Yara and leaves Ilaria and her daughter. What's he going to mm -hmm. do with Yara? Torture her. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm worried about that, but yeah. um, we'll see. Because I definitely think we're we're setting up, you know, this is Theon's plot, and yeah, I don't know, like moment. at the same. But see, that's where I, I'm I'm conflicted because, like I said, on the one hand, you know, they're constructing everything to sort of want us to kind of root for Theon to get his hero moment or whatever like that. But that's kind of the classic hero fantasy trope that this show has at least historically been really interested in subverting and upending. 
And also we have to remember too, that as much as we can hope for Theon to be better moving forward than he was in the past, he's still done some stuff in his life that like, not that it, he deserves everything that's happened to him exactly, but make him yeah. not exactly like the hero figure of the story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so I th I think they're they're pocketing uh, Yara away for Theon to attempt rescue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so. I don't care. I really don't care about those two. Hmm? No, <laughs> I, I enjoy watching Euron. I at this point, I do not care. I enjoy. I there are a couple of scenes with Yara that I enjoyed last season and then last episode, but right now I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah, well, it's frustrating that she's just been resort, you know, uh, relegated to being prisoner and to to be rescued now. So, yeah, it's she was so amazing, and and it's well, just like, and I guess it. in fairness to that show, Yara was really never as cool as Book Asha anyway. So this is very true. She has always she's always been a disappointment to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm in, I'm invested, but warily because I am concerned that the show is not going to deliver on my that particular investment so we'll see we'll see I think that's why i'm not invested is i i don't want to put any care into that character mm. um but uh if we're moving on to um, paulette says uh, i'm so done with theon they could have left him on that log for the rest of the show and that just <laughs> made me think that what if he bumped into gendry Right. <laughs> I did see a meme of that. Uh, it was it was Theon on a boat with Gendry. <laughs> that was hysterical. Um, but I want to see Gendry. I don't care about Theon. <laughs> All right. So Cersei's vengeance. Yeah. Uh, yep. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Uh, on the one hand, it feels honestly a little bit elaborate for Cersei. Um. But what, what I'm curious about is that on the one hand, it does seem like a really sort of devious, poetic revenge thing to kind of try to do, and it does seem like it would be very traumatic. It also technically leaves the scene with both the daughter and the mother still alive, with us knowing that it could take days for the daughter to die, and all that needs to happen is for her to drink this little bit of an antidote, and then she'd be fine. So I don't know that the show is trying to set us up that they're going to be okay or they're going to get away. But what I guess I'm saying is that it's a definitively not final scene. Mm -hmm. We, you know, so I don't know if the show is trying to suggest to us that there might be more to that story or if they're really trying to just sort of close the book on that, like a little, uh, you know, um, uh, shoot, uh, Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. episode right. <laughs> you know what i mean like uh <laughs> you know we have uh, cersei and uh talking with the crypt keeper afterwards it's like oh you know they'll pay with the poetic vengeance of what they did <laughs> um uh, my and, only and that note could for work, by the way because yeah. uh Tales from the crypt was an hbo show mm. <laughs> <laughs> my only note for the scene was dark 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 <laughs> um, mm. And uh, my assumption was, yeah, we will never see them again. Yeah. Um, so my thoughts on this scene are, I I actually really enjoyed it because I kept thinking, all right, where is she going? Where is she going? Mm -hmm. And I feel like 
uh, Cersei has channeled a couple of people here. Mm. Uh, one of which is uh, she's channeled a bit of Joffrey. Mm. She is she's coming up yeah. with ways of torture in the way that Joffrey would have. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that she would have had that before. So yeah. I agree with you. It, it's very complicated for Cersei, but I think because of all that she's lost, she's she's holding on to her children the only way she can. And and this is one of them. I don't think it's a conscious thing. I just there is definitely some Joffrey going on. She is a monster. Yeah. And, I had and, not yeah, I had not made that connection, but you are totally right. <laughs> and so one of the other things I kept thinking about is her wig is so bad. It is so bad. But it made me think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Cersei's hair continues to grow and she wears a wig, constantly a short wig, to to keep that role of the um, wounded mother who lost everything and 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 this vengeful queen because she did wear wigs in the beginning now again this is putting more into it it's probably just bad wigs on the show like they've been doing but it just it just really i don't know it, it was interesting to me um and again her hair is kind of like joffrey's um and uh and i i understand her vengeance I understand uh -huh. this James Bond death trap that she set up yeah. because she really wants people to feel the pain that she has been given. Right. And well, she's a villain, but I'm totally there. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I, I see where you're going. You're a monster. This yeah. is awesome. Well, this is one of those rare occasions that puts us in her shoes a little bit just because um, although we – could understand why Alaria wanted revenge with Oberyn's death. She's actually kind of way off base here because first of all, Oberyn died in a fair fight to the death that he took took on voluntarily and only mm -hmm. lost because of his own dumb macho posturing. Yep. And in retaliation, she murdered an innocent child. And so exactly the opposite of what Oberyn would have wanted. Yeah, so Alaria is not like the hero in this scene that's being tortured by the villain. She's kind of a villain on her in her own right that just happens to, uh, you know, fall on the other side. And uh, and so Cersei, not that we would ever quite say that this is a righteous act. It's certainly a fulfillment of legitimate vengeance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You you can you can understand her. You can definitely yeah. relate to her. Um, I uh, the only person I really feel bad for is I don't know how to pronounce her name, Tyen or whatever her name is, yeah. the Sand Snake. Uh, because the mo and and everything in the scene again, like most of this episode, everything was so well acted. Everything was so well done. Yeah. Um, from the moment Cersei kisses her, she goes mama and she knows right away she's been poisoned mm -hmm. so i don't know <laughs> if she's just predicting behavior if she can taste the poison because it's a poison that they use i mean she used it on brawn um the fact that she's the one that used it on brawn is uh, uh and all of this other stuff it's uh it's it's oh man it just it just strikes you the whole thing mm -hmm. and just the acting from the face acting that was going yeah. on Oh yeah, it no, it's blew me away, and it's such a creepy, like fate 
that that idea of like you know if you refuse to eat we're gonna force feed you Mm -hmm. while you just sit down here and watch your daughter run away across the room from you that's oh my god yeah (laughs) and and you know that there will be no way out of this there's there's no sense of will or constitution that is going to save you from this fate. They are going to force you. They're going to make sure you see everything. It's uh, it's pretty sick. Yeah. Oh, I will it. say that I think that if the show intended this to be the final fate of those characters, that they're not going to return, I think the show could have communicated that better. Because where it's left right now is that it could take days for her to die. We yep. just saw Cersei take... Now I'm fine. Um, And then leaving them with the door closed, both still alive. Now, I mean, I don't know what I think they should have done necessarily, but right now it seems like they completely have the door open for both of those characters to be rescued. Mm, Yeah. Although, I mean, I, yeah. Hey, we thought they were not working after a certain amount of time, but yeah. 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 Sorry. Uh, We thought they wrote the Dorn plot off before. So, Mm. We have no yeah. way of knowing, you know? Uh, True. Yep. True. Um, yeah. Sorry. Well, it and does then, raise the question, too, though, just of, of, I mean, the whole idea was that uh, they were taking the fleet down to Dorne to get the army. Yeah. So presumably the army is still down there. Mm-hmm. And even if Filaria the is the you know current ruler has been taken out, we can imagine there'd be some chaos. But there's still a lot of people down there who, in theory, were already kind of ready to be transported. And if mm-hmm. they hear, "Oh no, our leader was taken," you know that does that doesn't seem like that is realistic to say. Okay, they're just off the board now. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's made uh, even deeper, darker, more diabolical by how hot she gets Ugh. and immediately goes in and <laughs> takes on Jamie. I'm so uncomfortable by this scene. Mm. Um, the way she coerces him into sex and like they had to add the slurping noises. Um, yeah. uh, but um, one thing that was interesting is Remember I said she was channeling Tommen. Well, now she's kind of channeling the Mad King. Mm. Uh, because, <laughs> and I don't think this was said in the show. So again, this could just me be me book fan adding things in. Um, it was said that the Mad King was only ever aroused after he tortured people. Mm. And uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, that, I think that's in line with what we've heard about the Mad King yeah. in the show, but I don't think we've ever, you know, like, you know, yeah, like that yeah. sounds plausible, but I don't think they've, covered that exactly um yeah but i mean to be sure cersei is kind of drunk on power at this point um have we even seen her drink wine yeah she poured wine when she was meeting with the banker oh okay Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah she's definitely well and i mean to be fair too in terms of the broader plot she's kind of winning right now like Mm -hmm. you know she She took what looked like a dire situation and has almost entirely, well, okay, I take that back because I was going to say she's almost entirely reversed it, but it's really not that because what she's really doing is she's just making it so that Danny has few options other than 
killing thousands of people with dragons and sending Dothraki yeah. into King's Landing. Yeah. Right. Which so it's not so much that she is actually succeeding in winning a war for good as much as she is forcing Danny's hand in a way that will be kind of unsatisfactory to everybody. But, yeah. <laughs> Most likely. Um Viv's note uh about Cersei now not giving fucks about anybody knowing she's getting it on with her brother. That the uh, servant is the same one that Cersei's had in previous years. Now mm. with her hut, haircut short like Cersei. Yeah, I wrote a note about that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you she always out. matched her haircuts through the years. I had not noticed at all in the slightest. I I made a note. I didn't notice in the past, but I made a note that uh, the page has the same exact haircut as Cersei. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, that going to be a thing? Which is what made me think that, you know, she could do the whole wig thing. And like I said, uh, way too much into it. <laughs> well, like I don't, I didn't get the impression that there was any show wig, meaning like in, like in story that she's wearing a wig. Yeah. But at the same time, the way I read that is it's not that Cersei's hair hasn't grown. She is keeping it short because that's how she wants it now. Yeah. And that style is being reflected by people around her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely a uh, pretty big thing. So Paulette says, uh, not to foreshadow too much, but you know, Jamie is on his way home after a poisoning. He might step in on another poisoning. <laughs> well, especially, you know, we haven't talked about that scene yet, but like he's he's got a whole new sort of take on right. poisoning and how he feels about that and so on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the next scene is with uh, Mycroft. It is. Did I notice that before? Because I feel like this is the first time I've noticed that really? the banker from the Iron Bank is Mycroft. Well, sure. it hasn't showed up recently. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember if you had called him out before, but I feel and like I, the last time we saw him was season five. Yeah, and maybe maybe because there's been new Sherlock since then, I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, all I could see is I'm like, it's Mycroft. It's, <laughs> it's Mycroft. Why, why is Mycroft? Work? Well, that makes sense that he would work for the iron bank. Um, um this scene, I felt like it, this is another scene that I, I don't want to say it was not a wasted scene, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's function for the storytelling was pretty transparent and it was kind of a long scene for fulfilling that function, which is to have, Cersei make what seems to be a crazy unfulfillable promise, which is to yeah. hang out for two weeks and I'll pay you back all the gold despite not having left any, you know, and, uh, and that seeming like what? And then f- for her yeah. to actually be, you know, able to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. um, so uh, I didn't really get much out of the scene except from the perspective of first time through having her promise to repay all that gold in two weeks. And I'm like, Wait, what? How, what? What is the plan there? That seems... Okay, I'm confused. <laughs> and when it happens, you're like, oh, of course. Well, okay, why wouldn't anybody do that? Um, but, More uh, magic war logistics where they're able to yeah. take a giant castle without a siege. Exactly. Okay. It's wonderful. All you have to do is march up to a castle, right? That's how you win? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> but um, it, it also seems that the Iron Bank actually cares who runs Westeros at this point. Like, uh, whereas in the past, it's always been asking for more money and things like that. They've never gone to say, well, we want this side to win. It's always been, you know, like Davos went and said, well, this is why you should back us. So it feels like uh, the Iron Bank is playing a little more of an active role in this. Mm. Mm. I kind of took it as <clears throat> these are the machinations that happen that we just were never privy to. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, they were they they played an active role in helping Stannis, right? I mean, that's how he paid for the ships that took him up to help John. Yeah, but Davos had to go there to get yeah. them to agree. Like they didn't come and say, "Hey, Stannis, we want to back you," yeah. and they never came and said, "Hey, Stannis, you haven't paid us." Well, yeah, but I mean, I think that it, this was not, "Hey, Cersei, we want to back you." It was more like, "Hey, Cersei, you already owe us a lot of money. What's your plan yeah. here?" Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You're not getting another loan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think I think the real purpose of this scene, though, is just to have her make a, what seems like a crazy promise that she wouldn't have any way to uh, deliver on, and yet... <laughs> <laughs> right. First, we take a detour back to uh, Tyrion and John. Mm -hmm. was very happy to see that they were going to get a moment. Yeah. And John broods better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's kind of reminiscent of their last meeting too, standing on top of the wall, mm -hmm. you know, being mm -hmm. up on that cliff. And I, I love too how John, despite liking Tyrion, okay, is just really not in the mood for banter. Right. And yeah. and so you know, uh, Tyrion's up there when he kind of makes his cracks about, oh, you look better brooding than me. And John is just like, I'm a prisoner in this castle. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think that I want to talk about anything other than that? Right. <laughs> I don't want to play word games. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. I love that scene. Um, um, one of the lines I'm that I really enjoyed was um, people's minds aren't made for problems that large. It's mm -hmm. easier to deal with Cersei. <laughs> and um, I think that that is that's very true about a lot of things. I mean, in the show and in, in real life, I mean, yeah. so many times you hear people say, well, you're going to squabble over this, but what about this other thing? And, and a lot of times this other thing, it's too big for us to think about. So we have to focus on the things that are smaller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's very where true. a lot of like climate change denial comes from. Oh yeah. yeah. First thing it popped in my head. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I really liked how Tyrion was kind of leading John through the game, you know. Mm -hmm. That was a ridiculous thing to ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have something else you want? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to find a way for you guys to stop <laughs> ruining everything for everyone else. It was yeah. It was so great. It was like a mentorship, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a little worried on Tyrion's behalf, though. Um, and this is actually more speculation about next time, given everything that happens this time. 
But with both the loss of the fleet and then having the whole plan to take Casterly Rock go so bad, and, you know, I feel like what has happened here is we remember Olena's conversation with Danny and that whole thing of like, ignore the clever men and be a dragon. Mm -hmm. I feel like the show is setting up that Tyrion's clever plan is failing and that she should just be a dragon, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, which I, I mean, it's fine if that's the story they want to tell, but I just feel bad for Tyrion because his clever plan is failing because of plot shenanigans, not because it was actually a bad plan. Agreed. Right. <laughs> It was a good yeah. plan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now that said, I mean, it's, it's fair to be outmaneuvered. Like the whole thing with, uh, you know, actually leaving the, uh, the Lannisters, um, you know, abandoning Casterly Rock and doing this bold, audacious move that Tyrion fails to foresee because the idea that the Lannisters would abandon Casterly Rock. Right. You know, he's too caught up in the idea that he's going to take Casterly Rock, a place that's never been taken and it's his home and he's going to seize his birthright and all of that stuff. And the idea that they would just leave it behind to move over and do, and specifically referencing that's just what Rob did to me in Whispering Wood. It's great callback. Um, so that one, I don't mind so much. The, what does bug me is Euron's magic fleet managing to also take out that part of the... Right. Yeah, yeah. It'd be one <laughs> thing if they showed up and they're like, there's not enough people here and we didn't have Euron's fleet showing up. Yeah, that, I think they should have just left out that piece of it. Yeah, Because agreed. the thing is, the idea that, oh... Um, now they're going to have to march all the way back across Westeros. I'm, I'm thinking like, well, that only seems like a big deal because you're already completely underselling how long it would take to sail the ships all the way around the southern tip of uh, yeah. Westeros, which is what they would have had to do to get there. Because you're talking about opposite sides of this long, thin continent. <laughs> they have to go all the way down around the south to get there, as opposed to marching across this relatively narrow continent. Yeah, like there are times so, that sailing is faster and times when it's not. But they're using it like uh, these. The, this fleet is a TARDIS, you know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> let's see if I can get this voice right. If only he'd known about the magic maniac's mythical armada. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the a thousand ships, I guess they just split it. And yeah. Took on, took and well, infinite time. replicating Kraken ships because. Right. Exactly. They just make more as they go. Like now. Well, and they definitely, we definitely are meant to know what has happened by having them show that flagship of, of Euron's mm -hmm. fleet there at Casterly Rock also, despite it having been part of the fleet and presumably the, show that, the ship that Euron was on yeah. when it took Yara and the, the Sand Snakes, which yeah. was all the way on the other side of the continent. And then Euron himself goes to King's Landing. Right. And, and all of this, at least in <laughs> show field time, taking place over a couple of days max. We call shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, there's some yeah. serious shenanigans there, but yeah. Um, 
Anyway, I mean, obviously, though, I think what's happening is I feel like it's a little bit of a clumsy setup, but the goal, of course, is to just have uh, Danny's seemingly unstoppable force get winnowed down until she's going to be forced to make a tough call, which is good storytelling. I just feel like the way they're getting there is a little clumsy. Yeah. Uh, Paulette also says, by the way, the Unsullied marching east and the Dothraki marching west with Jamie in the middle is called a pincer movement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Go to uh, Danny and John talking. Mm-hmm. Um, much different conversation than in the throne room, certainly with them being oh, alone yeah. and having. One thing before we get there, when yeah. Tyrion's talking to Danny, um, mm-hmm. I I really do love how she brings up what, what, what was that bit about him being stabbed in the heart. Mm-hmm. And right. and Tyrion just sloughs it off, and he's like, "You must uh, give them their flights of fancy. It's Drury in the north." Yeah, that, and he tries to pass off his own wisdom again, and then he's like, "I wouldn't do that." Well, and I'm also yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I totally did. Um, I want to just kind of also though, maybe this, I'm not calling shenanigans, yeah. but I'm raising an eyebrow at the idea that you're talking about fighting an army of the dead, mm-hmm. but surely this example of accidentally mentioning that maybe he's been killed and come back from the dead, it's just a figure of speech for sure. I don't you know, think I don't. Tyrion <laughs> thinks it's a figure of speech. My belief is that Tyrion is like, yeah, there's more there. I don't want to know. That's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't Something know. we need to be concerned with right now. <laughs> if we don't talk Honestly, about it, I don't I, have to deal with it. I wouldn't be surprised if the show at this point kind of want to just forget that, forget that that happened, that right. John came back from the dead and just kind of move on and not actually have it come up again in any meaningful way. That's kind of the impression surprised. I get, honestly. Because they're definitely avoiding some of the obvious story ramifications that it seems like it ought to have had. Yeah. 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 But anyway. John and Danny. Yeah, great exchange. The, um, oh, I lost my note. (laughs) We all enjoy what we're good at. John, Uh, I don't. Yes. That's, That's a great exchange. I love that exchange, and that comes back to remember I said uh, people followed John because they love him. Yeah. Both of those things, people follow him because they love him, and I don't enjoy doing the thing I'm good at, are two things that were said of Rhaegar. Rhaegar was very good at killing, but he didn't enjoy it. Mm. People <laughs> followed oh, him yeah. because they believed in him. Hmm. Ah, and see? they're directly wow. tied to things that were said in the show. Yeah, that, uh, you there. know what? Like that one, I I'm gonna I'm gonna give some le- legit. I don't know why the metaphor that came to mind was that I was giving you legit breadcrumbs there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So let 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 me dwell on that just to kind of clarify what I'm trying to mean here is that I think. I think a lot of some of these theories I feel like get pulled out of thin air, but that one I that one I feel like is, is potentially legitimate. There is that there's there's something real there. It's, you're not, yeah. uh, you know, there's. I'm not at straws. <laughs> so, so the crumbs are 
evidence that there was actually bread there at some time, <laughs> as opposed to that, anyway. just believing that there was bread. So the other bread thing cars. that makes this very important to me is how important Rhaegar and stories of Rhaegar have been to Daenerys. She's mm-hmm. always asked. She was always asking Jorah to tell her about Rhaegar. Uh, she named one of her dragons Rhaegar. She's never met him, but he's always been a powerful influence in her life. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, John, who's a lot like Ned, is also a lot like Rhaegar, and uh, in, and, and it's coming out in this first meeting with Daenerys. Mm-hmm. I think that's he, really cool, though she did name one after Viserion, and he was a dick. Yeah, yeah, but, you know. He, he, <laughs> she sold her. Even though he, he abused her. her uh, yeah, he was still her brother, and you know, it's like oh, I have a third dragon. I gotta name him something, I guess. Yeah. But um, <laughs> can't all be drunk. Break the theme. Do you think that we're gonna get ever to see flashback uh, Rhaegar, maybe in uh, one of uh, Brand's Three-Eyed Raven dreams oh, or something? I hope so. Because how else would we ever actually end up confirming the uh, whole Jon Snow's parentage thing? Wouldn't we have to see Rhaegar at some point? I, Especially if he's cast as Kit Harrington. Oh, that would be fun. Um, <laughs> Kit Harrington with like uh, contacts and a little lighter hair. Um, I would love to see a flashback with Rhaegar. And um, there is a certain tourney that I would love to see as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So um, Marco says uh, no one can match the Dothraki in an open field. Barristan Selmy said that to Danny. So yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, this is this is, comes back to the idea that Cersei isn't so much winning as much as forcing Danny's hand, because mm-hmm. Danny brought the Unsullied and the Dothraki, but she's been reluctant to use them in King's Landing specifically because of concern that mm-hmm. the Westerosi would see her as a foreign invader instead of the rightful ruler. Yeah. But if Cersei successfully takes away everyone except the Unsullied and the Dothraki, then Danny's not going to just go home or, mm-hmm. or, you know, turn around and go back to uh, Essos. Agreed. She kind of burned that bridge, actually, you know, so yeah. that doesn't... <laughs> mm-hmm. I like at the uh, end there um, with all of John's brooding and nobody's believing me. So, so, so you believe me? And she won't say. <laughs> Yeah, keep going. You got work to do. I love it. <laughs> well, it's this weird thing, though, that the the tick that the show has had ever since uh, agreed um, that everyone needs to use Jon Snow's whole name every time they talk to him. You have work to do, Jon Snow. <laughs> like, you know, it's like that, Jordan that Cotillano. Was- that was a verbal tick that was distinctive dialogue for Igrit as a specific character, and now just everybody talks that way whenever they talk to John. Mm-hmm. That's because so. he's like Jordan Catalano, you know? It's always two names. Um, so I just about lost it uh, because Paulette writes in the chat, face it, this is HBO. Rhaegar would be butt naked in front of Liana. Um, so yeah, there'll be no uh, questions <laughs> if we do see Rhaegar. <laughs> and Paulette, I really hope that's what we see. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, a little three-eyed raven sex position sure <laughs> why not uh, i think any other thoughts on danny and john no no fly over to winterfell sansa handily administering 
administrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. She's letting on that she's smarter than she had previously let on. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. the boss. She is the tallest one there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't help but notice how tall she is in this scene. Yeah. Um, and, the, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just say Baelish gives a lesson in quantum living. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he kind of tells her to live like the three eyed Raven. Yeah. Right. And it's especially, he says that right before Bran shows up too. Oh. Um, honestly, I, this is the first time where I was really thinking Littlefinger is actually the one in, in over his head here at this point Mm -hmm. i'm thinking Mm because i had always kind of for the longest time been thinking oh yeah santa is actually pretty smart but she's up against kind of this scheming master here but i'm increasingly starting to think of littlefinger as uh someone whose obsession with sansa has led him to make decision after decision that are not in his own best interests to the point where he is kind of stuck now in not a good space because she is really not bending to his pressure at all. And every attempt that he makes to try to re-ingratiate himself is getting just completely blown off. And this whole like lesson of, oh, you have to be aware of everything. Like, I feel like the obvious response to that is like, I should be aware of how your super creep who's going to try to get in my head about everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) maybe maybe because that's what you've done every second of the day since i've met you (laughs) sansa has no fucks to give she is not taking any of his shit and i love it and i think my favorite part is when he goes no one here knows cersei better than me and she's like uh yes (laughs) that was so perfect that when he says that and she's just like that's not true what are you talking about (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was um, brilliant. but yeah. during his little speech it seemed i don't know she had a weird look on her face like she was kind of entranced by it but yeah well i think that he um, was presenting it in a different way but and and i could see her listening because i definitely think she is smart enough to recognize that she can learn things from him but with a, a, enough of a reserve to not let him in. Now that said, the the dangerous thing and the the risk that she takes with him is that um, he is obsessed to the point where, if pressed enough, he will do something desperate, mm-hmm. um, and that could be dangerous. Yeah. Because he's not going to give up. I mean, he has hitched his wagon to her star, so to speak, and is not going to go anywhere right so he he is not you know just gonna ever give up and say oh well i guess i'll go back to the eerie and just hang out there um no (laughs) as long as they need the army they need him so so there's always a chance until someone is tired of his pressing and pushes back and then he's potentially going to do something dangerous is what i'm predicting at this point or we have another prediction from a listener, um, Mark the Incaffeinated One, posted earlier this week. Uh, he's like, so when Arya returns to Winterfell and takes Littlefinger's face, and so- it solves two problems, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can see that. Although at the same time, there's no story resonance in having Arya kill Littlefinger. No. Like they it's don't a care fun about an idea. <laughs> she doesn't have to kill him. She just needs his face. Yeah. 
Sansa can kill him. <laughs> well, it depends. Does she know uh, about him being involved in the assassination attempt on Bran? Hmm. Might drive her to kill him. But even that, mm. like, we've there's not established in the show any particular, yeah. like, there's no poetry in that. Nobody cares. Yeah. yeah. That's a recurring theme, by the way. <laughs> Old plot points, when we get to it's like nobody cares about that anymore. Honestly, <laughs> Um, honestly, Sansa is really the only one with the sufficient emotional investment to really get some sort of a narrative payoff from the end of Littlefinger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah. Like, oh, someone's at the gate. <laughs> All I could think. <laughs> My first thought was it would be Arya. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we know she's on her way. That's mm-hmm. the last we saw her is at the end of the crossroads heading north, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, I guess, it, you know, on her way north with the wolves was the last we saw her, but on her way to Winterfell was, in theory, where she was going. Right. But yeah, so for Bran to uh, show up, um, uh, you know, Mark in the in the chat says, Bran that we know is gone in that cave. He's like supernatural being now, just Bran's body, but three-eyed raven inside. I, I, I don't know if I would go that far. But he's certainly not himself. And like yeah. the the way I described it on on Twitter, uh, the the way he comes across to me, which you know, briefly stepping into a meta position, I'm not sure I feel like is a good storytelling choice to have him act like this. But regardless, they've made that choice. But in the show, what it comes across to me is not someone who's necessarily emotionless so much as distracted. It's like when someone's trying to read a book mm-hmm. while they talk to you. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like to me is that they're just, their attention is divided. And so, um, and, and people, a lot, I talked to a bunch of people who or who got kind of hung up on the idea that it's super creepy that he brings up her rape. And I'm like, well, that's kind of not exactly what happened. I mean, because he mentioned bad stuff happened to her here, which is certainly yeah. true, and could refer to the rape, but it's not very specific. But then the moment that he calls out is not the time that he raped you. It was how beautiful you looked standing here in front of this tree with the snow falling just like it is now. That's yeah. the image that he brings up. And so certainly we can understand why that would remind her of what happened next. And that that was such an emotionally fraught moment for her. But I don't feel like that can't, it, I wouldn't call that him bringing up, hey, remember that time you got raped? Agreed. I agree 100% that you said exactly my thoughts there. Okay. Cool. And uh, for the whole idea of Bran being different, um, yeah, it's still Bran, but it's like he's taken the three-eyed raven into him. And so he, he, like if if we're going to say like souls or spirits or whatever it is, those two things are, have combined and they're sharing that body. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, he's still brand, but he's also the three eyed raving. See, that's, that's different than my take on it. I don't yeah. get the impression that the previous three eyed raven as like, as a being yeah. has merged with brand. It's more like brand has inherited the abilities and it's Bran is still Bran. He is not the previous three-eyed raven in a new body. It's just that Bran now has the ability to see all these visions constantly all the time, and it's distracting. Mm. 
I think that that's the impression that I get is that he is kind of lost in constantly seeing all of these different things and has given him a different perspective. And he's kind of thinking about a hundred things at once while he's having this conversation. I did not get any impression that it is literally a case of like merging souls or mm -hmm. something. Well, it's more like for me, um, spirit, you know, is mm -hmm. not exactly soul. It's, you know, like blood Raven is gone. I, I think mm -hmm. that, that, soul or whatever is gone but whatever it is that is the three-eyed raven this intangible thing i think goes from body to body yeah but i i think of that almost more like the metaphorical you know who's king right you know mm, it's okay. inher it's like it's inherited and you have power and authority as a result but it doesn't make one person into another person it is you know an expansion of who they were not a, that that's kind of how it feels to yeah. me is it's like this ability has moved from one to another not the identity yeah okay okay mm -hmm. that's that's so, how it felt to me but it's definitely yeah. as bran himself points out it's kind of hard to explain yeah it's complicated right. <laughs> so uh bran says he needs to speak to john and i just went oh crap bran's gonna die Right. <laughs> <laughs> tell him something. Uh, tells, has to tell John who his parents are, they die. The thing that leapt out at me, honestly, though, from that scene is Sansa saying, your father's last trueborn son, that makes you Lord of Winterfell now. And I'm thinking, whoa, hold on in a minute. That's yeah. a very complicating factor. And I mean, it's not untrue exactly, but you need to probably be careful what you're saying about that when John is down in the South. Like, are you proposing that Bran is now going to try to take over as King of the North? Or are you saying that Bran is going to be Lord of Winterfell while John is still King of the North? What is mm -hmm. it what you're saying exactly? Yeah. And of course, he just kind of brushes that off of like, oh, I'm yeah. not going to be Lord of anything. I'm the Three-Eyed Raven now. Um, and which, I mean, it's we could see that, but I was a little surprised that that's kind of, she, it's, it's one thing for her to sort of realize that that complicates the succession thing. Um, and, but for her to say it matter of factly, like, well, obviously that means you are the Lord of Winterfell now, as opposed to kind of saying, Hey, we've kind of got this complicated thing happening right now. So let's figure out what that means in a way that hopefully will not disrupt everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt like in this scene, um, and it's it's probably because of the blocking. Um, so in the previous scene, as I said, Sansa had no fucks to give. She was boss. Mm -hmm. She was taller than everybody. In this scene, she's sitting like a little girl with mm -hmm. knees to her chest, and she's very soft. And I feel like when she said, well, your father's last trueborn son, that means you're Lord of Winterfell. She's not even thinking of King of the North. She's not thinking of anything. She's kind of reverted back to that childlike state. Yeah. And um, I think it'll be interesting to to see where this goes because, um, you know, bringing Bran back is is changing a lot of things. Yeah. That was <clears throat> exactly my take. This kind of my kind of a regression a little bit and that she mm -hmm. just kind of blurts that out. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, um, yeah. Where that'll go. Well, it also, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead and finish up. I was just going to say, um, 
it kind of highlights another thing that the show has kind of brushed past a little bit, which is maybe fine in saying that it's the Northerners brushing past it, which is this this kind of John's, is he a Stark or is he not really a Stark? You know what I mean? It's like if they've decided he's king in the North, but how much of that is predicated on, well, he is technically Ned Stark's son. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, so the idea, if there was actually a competition in, in as far as that goes, are they following John or are they following a Stark in Winterfell? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously I think Bran is utterly disinterested in trying to have a, you know, inheritance war with John, but yep. oh, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vivid <clears throat> grabbed a, a, a meme picture. We'll see if it actually opens the scene or opens in here correctly. Oh, wow. Nothing happened, did it? Nope. Uh, nope. <laughs> of course not. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, uh, well, you, you need to make yourself the director because otherwise... If either of us talks, it makes this. Yeah. It's oh, gotcha. So it's, <laughs> well, uh, well, well, but so yeah, it's um, yeah, it's. I it's mean, John, Stark reunion yeah. be like, John, I'm I died, <clears throat> came back to life. Bran, I'm the three eyed raven. Arya, I can change faces. <laughs> and Sansa, what the fuck, guys? I feel like I can change faces undersells what Arya. I, I feel like the yeah. meme would have been better with her saying, "Like I'm a shape shifting assassin," right? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. We're already running long. We have a lot left to talk about. my notes. We haven't talked about Sam. We haven't talked about Jamie and Elena. That's next. Yeah. That's next. Or or yeah. It's straight, just we've it's, got a lot, and I'm late, and I'm tired. Straight to Old Town. Jorah's cured. It's as simple that was as fast. that. <laughs> the next morning. And <laughs> it is established in the show that it would have had to be the next morning. Because Jorah was only going to be allowed to stay in that room for one extra day. Because it was specifically oh, for the person of allowing him to kill himself. You're oh, right. Yeah. I kept thinking it had to take weeks. It, I mean, it wow. only makes sense to take weeks, except that the show previously established that Sam had to do it that night because it was the last night that he was going to be allowed to stay and mm -hmm. that he was going to be shipped off in the morning. He's staying one extra day as a privilege of being a knight um, that he uh, gets this extra day where he's left to his own devices, right, which is a wink-wink. Right. You can kill yourself if you want instead of going off to the be with the stone men. But it was made clear you're going to be shipped off tomorrow. Yeah, that makes it even worse. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm happy it happened, but at the same time... Um, yeah. It's just another perfect example of the show really just doing whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, but it's it's not even internally consistent though. That's that's what's starting to be frustrating about it is that it's one thing to just kind of say, Yeah, we can fudge the travel time to service the story, but they didn't it was them that established that he was going to be shipped off in the, the next day. Like they right. that, they built that into their own episode and then you know, yeah. like they, they didn't have to say, you know, they were just trying to put time pressure on why ha Sam has to do it right away. 
Um, but now that just means that like, you know, after that whole thing where we're seeing pus and, uh, oh. you know, pulling off this skin in the middle of the night and he's screaming, but you know, in the morning, nope, fine. It's all scarred over and healed and everything already. It was yeah. the climate. Yeah. I did like that bit though. <laughs> it was great. Cause he's just, he's, he's just sitting there trying to come up with answers. He's like the rest. Sam's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, climate. Sam's like, what? <laughs> you suck at this, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I yeah. did like the uh, follow-up though of uh, the Archmaster basically saying, "I forbade you to do it in the way that you forbid a child from running into the street without looking, because it was dangerous, and I thought you were being foolhardy." But in this case, you saved a man's life by apparently being incredibly meticulous and disciplined and careful, mm -hmm. which is speaks well to your abilities. And so even though you disobeyed me, you have accomplished a pretty incredible thing. So good job. I, right. I liked that. But yeah. also it's like, but I didn't forget the part where you disobeyed me. So that's right. not... That's not going away. <laughs> How did you accomplish such a feat? I read the books and follow the instructions. <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, he's like, what? You wanted a reward. And I'm like, wait, you just gave him a reward. He's getting yeah. to copy these ancient texts and scrolls that are going to be yes. destroyed if somebody. So they're so old that they're about to be destroyed. And he gets to copy them over which is knowledge, which is like the best gift you could give to Sam and will likely be something that he can use. And I think that's a stretch. That feels like a stretch to me. I, I at the least it's going to cut out, cut into his chamber well, pot scrubbing time. Yeah. Okay. So that's <laughs> really true. a promotion. But, but so this is a, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like rain on your parade exactly there, <laughs> Nettie, but it, it, it's kind of like we were talking about with the Theon scene to me is that it would be one thing to say, wouldn't it be an interesting storytelling direction to go? The idea that, oh, well, there's actually going to be something super valuable in these specific documents that he's going to discover by copying. And then, and then somehow the Archmaster is like doing that, deliberately but like i don't feel like it feels like that in the sh in the scene in the scene it feels like he's saying nope this is your punishment mm -hmm. and sam does not look happy about it uh, I, again i'm you know this goes back to the whole like when the archmaster tells him not to do something whether or not the archmaster thinks he's actually going to listen to him or not is is one thing um i i I don't think that the Archmaster is saying, oh, I'm going to reward this kid with ancient texts. Mm -hmm. But he said, oh, he's got attention to detail. I'm going to have him copy over these. No, texts. Yeah. I need them exactly right. But for Sam individually, mm -hmm. the one thing that we know about Sam is that all he ever wants to do is read. And when he was in, in his father's house, he would get in trouble for constantly reading when he was at, at the wall all he wanted to do was read and mm -hmm. learn things so sam is not only going to be reading and learning things he's going to be transcribing them which means he's going to be committing them to memory he is going to be sitting here and learning from these texts so whether or not the archmaster meant it as a reward it's a reward for sam because of who he is 
but it doesn't play like that in the scene. I guess. I I, I don't know. I, no, I make a yeah, compelling argument, seems, except yeah. that see, Sam does seem disheartened and yeah. Sam does seem that way, but I'm I'm talking about like the overarching reality of the situation. I'm imagining Sam going right. home to Gilly and hey, guess what I learned while I was transcribing today, you know? Yeah, well, and that's possible. I, I just, Prior you know, in it. I, I feel like oh, no. it's, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to sort of go beyond explanations that are presented in the scene. Because I, I, I again, this it kind of ties into what we were talking about with, uh, you know, the stealing the the restricted books and is like, oh, was the Archmaster really going wink, wink? But I know you're going to do it anyway, and I'm sort of just feeling like. What reason does the Archmaester have to do that? If the Archmaester is actually okay with him reading those books, then why would he not just let him do it? And instead right. of having to force him to disobey a direct order, but with a wink, like right. I, I just, there's, I can't think of any reason for him to act that way. Whereas in this case, I think you're right that you're not saying that the Archmaester is doing it like with any sort of, yeah. Yeah. Like mischievous intent, as yeah. much as uh, just like no, these act these are actually the the papers writing. They need to be transcribed. Yeah. Period. I do like when Sam left Jorah the fleshy handshake. Yeah, that was how sweet. much Jorah needed something like that, you know? Yeah. Pretty cool. Although technically, Jorah's right hand was not the one that was infected but anyways yeah but it, it's the first time he's touched someone and who knows how long he's yeah, been there true. because mm -hmm. of gamey thronies yeah game of thronies <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's head back to dragonstone yeah right. so yeah you know danny just wants to hunt down the fleet <laughs> yeah um and i really like how they did the Battle of Castor the Rock, and that, yeah, you know, I, it's Tyrion describing it and showing the things, and definitely um, agree. I liked it, all of that. It makes no sense for Tyrion to be explaining the plan at that moment, like after everything's in place. But it works really well for that montage, and I love <laughs> that Tyrion has JFK tunnels into Casterly Rock. The sewers. I, I, that is, that's kind of perfect. Yeah, um, I will. This this is a minor, minor nitpick, because the the whole idea that Tyrion was in charge of the sewers is a callback to you know previously established information in the show. I mean, he had talked about uh, that to Varys. I think that he, or was it was it Ned? Um, I don't remember. He talked mm -hmm. to someone about having been put in charge of the sewers by Tywin. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember who at this point, but uh, I, I feel like it was Varys. But anyway, um, the so that that bears out. But the impression that I had had previously was not that I constructed the sewers because apparently me and my father were there while this whole castle was being constructed. Like I don't feel like that was quite what was previously established. I mean, Tywin didn't build Casterly Rock, did he? Uh, yeah, he did. Really? Yeah, the I believe, and I could be one hundred percent wrong, but I believe uh, it's actually talked about um, because that the Lannisters didn't used to be a big house, and that's been one of their their um, failings as one of the great houses is because they're actually a relatively new house, and the only thing that 
brought them into prominence is they found gold in their area and they mined the gold and like, sorry, Chooch, but you must've been going crazy with all the reigns of Casimir playing in this episode. (laughs) That was written about Tywin. So that explains, you know, this, this, the Lannisters always pay their debts, the reigns of Casimir. This is all new history. It's not, you know, ancestral history where all the other houses are relying on, you know, the Starks. It's like Bran the Builder and all of these ancient Starks and we were kings and all of this other stuff. Whereas the Lannisters, they're they're a fairly new house. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. I Googled it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm okay. Um, according to tradition, the castle was originally held by House Casterly, oh, the old okay. kings of the rock, and they were ho- hoodwinked into giving the rock to land the clever, a legendary trickster and ancestor of House Lannister thousands of years ago. Oh, wow. And so that does not... So maybe yeah. Tywin made substantial renovations. And okay, then maybe that's what that that yeah. But... But the, the castle predated Tywin is what I was feeling. Okay. <laughs> then I was remembering it wrong. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, because it's it's confusing when it's yeah. made to sound in this episode like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, when my dad was building this castle, he had me build the sewers and I built this tunnel. And I'm sort of feeling like, was that previously established? But okay, sure. Right. Anyway, I, I love all the scene and like that's just that's that's world building nitpicking stuff. But uh, in general, the existence of the tunnel, uh, the whole plan, uh, loved all of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Tyrion quotes Braun. Yeah. Give me 10 good men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll impregnate the bitch. Yeah. Uh, when, of course, we already talked about um, what happens to. Yeah. I, I, you know, we kind of covered it already, but I definitely sort of feel like I think I would have been happier if Euron's fleet wasn't, didn't show up there. And it was just a case of we committed all of our ships to sailing all the way around the Southern end of this continent to bring the Unsullied there. And it's going to take them forever to get back or they can march back, which would also take forever but it turned out that the Lannister army was gone and there wasn't a need to have Euron's fleet be everywhere that way. Um, I felt that that was piling on to the point where it starts becoming kind of game of thrones. Yeah. Game of gamey thronies. Yeah. So that I feel like was an unnecessary addition and the scene would have worked just as well, if not better, just without that piece of it. Yep. To have Grey Worm having, you know, they've taken the castle, but he's looking around and it's deserted and just saying, the bulk of the Lannister forces were supposed to be here. What is going on? And then we cut to uh, Highgarden. Like, I, I feel like and, that works just as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lannister's marching on Highgarden, which is a bunch of bullshit. Um, mm. <laughs> oh, well, really, really quick one thing. So I saw that, uh, that, uh, Papa Tarly was there. I didn't notice if any of the other houses, I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it just bugs me the bullshit of in the past. They've said the Tyrells had the second largest army. Mm, yeah. 
and they have a defended fortified castle and it's been well established. They have all the fucking food. But so this is a classic siege situation. There's no way the Lannisters are just marching in and taking Highgarden. But they got the Charlie office. We were never really good at battle. But that's just it's the whole thing. has the answer. Go ahead. They in the last episode they got the Charlies and um I can't remember the other house, but they got they got the Tiro Bannerman to side with Cersei, which is yeah. why the Tyrells were able to be taken down. Yeah, and because we see they didn't uh, have so they their other betrayed. houses fighting for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we see uh, Randall Tarly and uh, Dickon um, riding with yeah. Braun behind Jamie as the marching up to Highgarden happens. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that's the show's answer. Is that some of uh, you know the Tyrells' uh, biggest bannermen changed sides, which disrupted the whole dynamic. Even still, it seems like actually taking the castle without a siege is a little bit hand wavy. Yeah. I'm not too worried about that because honestly, I would rather skip the scene where the fighting happens in order to make time for Jamie to talk to Elena. Sure. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Which is the best part of the whole episode. Oh, so good. So good. It's great. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's over, isn't it? So the plot didn't call for a siege. So, yeah. yeah. And and we see the gold being packed up. So, oh, yeah. that's where oh, she's going to yeah. get the yeah. gold from. The literal payoff. <laughs> what did Joffrey call that sword? Widow's Whale. He really was a cunt. <laughs> what does Sand? What did Sandor say about people who name their swords? <laughs> Cunts name their sword. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of callbacks in this episode. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was good. I I liked. I mean, that whole conversation. I mean, you could quote any two lines and say that that was a great exchange. I mean, but I was just thinking, like, you know. Did we fight well at least? And he's like, well, you know, as well as could be expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given that half of your armies joined our side. So, <laughs> and here it we is, are. <laughs> it's such a respectable meeting. Yeah. Um, I, you know, she's just patiently waiting, dressed in black, kind of. She sees them out, you know, marching in, and she just kind of says, yep, I know what's coming. Yep. No sense belaboring it at this point. And her entire bloodline has kind of already been wiped out, so it's like, huh? fatalistic at the at the end there, but uh, going to get in one last dig at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she's not really got anything left to live for, um, mm-hmm. except for one last dig. Uh, I did like all the different lines she was throwing out there. I mean, like, yeah, it was such a cordial visit. But at the same time, you know, it's like uh, Jamie says that he learns from his mistakes. And she's like, oh, you must be very wise by now. Right. <laughs> you know? she's, she's just got all of these little these little digs. And I just I love it. Mm-hmm. And she also says to Jamie that Cersei is your problem. And mm-hmm. that she is a monster. And her problem was uh, she couldn't imagine the things. Mm-hmm. She wasn't capable of imagining the things that Cersei would do. And uh, and that's that's the thing that we've been, a lot of the fans have been saying is, Jamie, you got to get out of there. <laughs> this is not yeah. for you. Yeah. Well, but, and she calls it out. You really are. You really do love her. It's 
too late, isn't it? <laughs> He's yeah, like, yeah. It's gone beyond your control. And, and I mean, that's, I think the, a per, it's, it's such a great little storytelling situation to set up because everybody is on the side of like, yeah, Jamie, you got to get out of there. But at the same time, literally, where's he going to go? Yeah. So yeah. she tells him after she finds out, okay, this is how I'm dying. He can't change my mode of death at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, or he could if he wanted to. Yeah. And then she tells him, yeah, it was me. And I want Cersei to know that it was me. I killed your son. Mm -hmm. And the look in Jamie's face, because what would be different mm -hmm. if they hadn't blamed Tyrion for Joffrey's yeah. death? Mm -hmm. If Tyrion wouldn't be with Daenerys right now, there wouldn't have been anyone to take care of Daenerys' uh, forces while she was away with the dragon. There are so many things that Tyrion has done because of this, Tywin would still be alive, maybe. Um, there's there's so many different things that would have happened. The Lannisters would have been in a much better position, in my opinion, had they never blamed Tyrion for Joffrey's death. Of course, yeah. yeah. And he's realizing this right now. And let's flash back to the first season. Jamie and Tyrion are best friends and he's realizing right now my best friend is innocent of this thing now mm -hmm. is he going to be able to forgive Tyrion for killing his father now that he knows that he was innocent honestly I, fe I feel like that was not part of his plan he's not happy about it but I okay. I, I cannot imagine Jamie holding that particular grudge no <laughs> so this leads me to wonder where can G Jamie go? Well, he's got a brother out there that didn't yeah. kill his, his, his son. And I have a prediction, and it could be off, but this is an interesting way to go. Um, Jamie returns and informs Cersei, and Cersei doesn't care. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change anything in her mind about yeah. Tyrion. And that's what it will be, what it takes to force Jamie to. Uh... I, I'm intrigued because it seems like that could be the wedge, but it also seems like Euron could be the wedge. So I'm wondering what's what the show is planning there. Well, pincer. I could also pincer. see multiple wedge. Yeah, pincer move, the pincer move. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. So any other ideas? Hmm. I mean, I, I agree with you that the the idea that he could go to Tyrion is is now the first opportunity for him to say maybe that's an option. Mm. You know, although I don't I don't think he's there. You know, like he, I I do think his response here would be to go back to tell Cersei, and uh, I agree with you also that Cersei is just going to feel like well I. I decided a long time ago that all of them were my enemies. And so it kind of really doesn't matter who did yep. which. Part. Um, and so she's probably not going to care that much. He's going to be frustrated. But my guess is that, like, I mean, again, this is a question of whether or not the show is planning to fulfill the fantasy tropes or to 
subvert them. Because mm-hmm. if it's going to fulfill them, then what's going to happen is the dramatic irony of Jamie being put in a situation with Cersei, like he was with Eris, where um, she's about to do something extra, extra horrible, and he's going to have to kill her to stop her doing it. That, I think, would be the the tropey way for it to go. Mm. Yeah, and that goes along with uh, one thing that Paulette said. This may be where sh- the seeds are planted for Jamie to become the Queen Slayer. Mm-hmm. He's already the King Slayer. Yeah. Um, and uh, she also says, I feel like Cersei needs to say, uh, I feel all Cersei needs to say is one line, burn them all. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chooch, any thoughts? Um. No, not really. The one comment I heard on um, or one statement was that uh, Lady Elena is the only person in Game of Thrones to win their own death. <laughs> True. Yeah, she did. And um, can we just all say, and Paulette has said it, I have said it many times, Diana Rigg was awesome. She yeah. is amazing. Um, Paulette said at the beginning of the 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 show she said uh when i was a little girl i wanted to be diana rigg because of the avengers she was mpl and now i still want to be diana rigg because she's elena <laughs> and i agree um you know she's called queen of thorns for a reason uh and she was played so fantastically by diana rigg it blew away all of my expectations 100%. And I, gosh, I mean, like, I want to give her an award, but I don't know what it would be. I just want to, like, <laughs> say thank you for, for this portrayal. Yeah. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> gee. Yeah. That was uh, another meme for those of you who might be listening only in audio. Um, the, uh, the one one last little detail that I kind of liked as sort of an interesting grace note to the scene was Elena pointing out that like I really didn't intend it to be such a ghastly spectacle when Joffrey died. I had never mm-hmm. seen the poison work before and wouldn't probably have done it that way if I had known because it was that was not the plan to have it be this big horrible you know thing i wanted him to be dead but i wasn't trying to make it this whole shocking spectacle yeah like she wasn't trying to hurt him she just wanted him gone Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah one of viv's notes um her detailed description of joffrey's death similar to the description cersei was giving to ilaria (laughs) of what she was going to watch her daughter go through Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) chili Final thoughts we've had uh, about the cinematography in general. Just like rumors of you know them doing feature length episodes could bode well because like you know you can tell they cut it in half and they really used the budget they would have used. <laughs> These armies and the dragons yeah. and the cinemata, everything's just been amazing. Yeah. Um, but overall, she was very uh, nonplussed about the Danny and John meeting. Oh. Um, she feel they didn't really deliver on their scenes together. 
Yeah. Uh, certainly not compared to how they've had others enter the fray. And I got zero chemistry between them while others reported it being off the chart. Yeah. I, I had, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle there. I think, I mean, I was glad to have it happen and I like mm -hmm. the idea that they're butting heads, but also just from a satisfaction standpoint, um, they kind of don't really resolve anything. They're kind of at odds and nothing happens. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you should kneel to me. No. You, you should help me with the Night King. No. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get some dragon glass? All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah so, I, I mean, I think there's going to be more payoff there. And I, but oh, yeah. I, would, I would agree that this episode was, I mean, for this big momentous meeting, it was lacking in some, you know, level of uh, narrative payoff but i think it's because you know they're it's it's ongoing you know what i mean it's not mm -hmm. it's not this climax yet yeah so uh marco says they say the budget for the next episode is more than the battle of the bastard Ooh. wow oh, that's interesting interesting yeah the next episode is titled the spoils of war mm. we're gonna have the dothraki finally enter the fray maybe because in theory, there's a whole army of them around. But uh, yeah. we saw they the really Unsullied need, this time. They really need something to do. There's yeah. a lot of gold that's got to find its way back to uh, the Iron Bank, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then uh, the dragons, too, um, might get involved. Because, of course, what was specifically brought up in this episode was Danny's suggestion that she take the dragons out to go burn Euron's fleet. Yeah. yeah. And now they're going to have a pretty good idea where they're at. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although they'll probably teleport to the north of the wall or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what uh, does everyone rate this? Yeah, ratings, oh. ratings. I'm going to give this one eight parting shots. Ooh, there you go. Um, hmm. I'm going to give it, um, see, I, I'm, what I keep going to is the thing that was making me mad about it. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to say uh, uh, eight out of ten teleporting uh, Kraken ships. <laughs> uh, it um, would be higher except for that whole piece of it because there was a lot of it that I really liked, but that just bugs me because it's it's forcing huge narrative stakes to happen because of those shenanigans rather than just using those to kind of yeah. grease the wheels of the story. And uh, I, I am surprised by that because you made that fine for me. Um, I am giving <laughs> this a uh, 10 out of 10 Ooh. Queen Diana Riggs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Viv gave it a four out of five rotting Ramsey Boltons. I still really hate that guy for killing Walden, <laughs> baby. <laughs> okay. You know, we wow. talked a so, little bit about grudges earlier. Viv, Viv can hold him. I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I feel as if I am the only one uh, out of sync here. Um, but uh -huh. that gives us uh, 8.5. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad for you that that <laughs> stuff didn't bother you. I mean, I'm, I don't want anyone to not like it. It's more just like I, for whatever reason, even though I've been the one that's kind of tried to brush that stuff away before I just, it just got to me this time. 
Yeah. And uh, Paulette gave it a 10 out of 10 badass poison divas killing her own death scene. <laughs> and Marco gave it a 7.5. And then there's a bunch nice. of Portuguese, but I can't translate that. Yeah. We've got some international uh, viewers yes. watching us today. Yes, we do. Welcome. From Brazil. <laughs> Yeah, we need that real-time translator, universal translator. <laughs> well, I think that uh, wraps us Yeah. forward. Um, it's great. We're not going to have any breaks this season. You know, the episodes are coming bam, 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 week after week. So mm-hmm. we will be here next week doing what we do. <laughs> yeah. I forget. Is it seven episodes this season? Is that correct? Yeah. Right. And then also Viv's notes. Oh my God, only four episodes left. Um, All right. <laughs> All right. Oh, and Marco, Thanks, sorry. Uh, one is from Brazil and one is from Malaysia. Sorry about oh, that. Nice. Yeah. I wonder what I wonder what uh, what triggered uh, such uh, so so many new uh, people joining us. Uh, we just I don't know. Some algorithm picked us up at some point, I guess. <laughs> I am I am loving it, and I yeah. love having you guys here. You definitely added to the conversation. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, everybody. We'll uh, talk to you next time. If you have feedback for the Beyond the Wall podcast, you can email us at btw at specficmedia.com. You can also leave us a comment on the website. Go to specficmedia.com where you'll find a shiny BTW button that'll take you right to our page. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0, Unported License. Feel free to share and remix. Just give us credit and don't charge money for it.